BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQVD in San Francisco, I'm Nina Kim. Coming up on Forum, riding a bike instead of driving a car has so many benefits. The exercise is good for your health. The lack of fossil fuels is good for the planet. But sharing the street with multi-ton vehicles that move very fast can be risky. California recently passed new laws to make biking safer, but a lot of drivers don't know about them. And as more cyclists hit the road in the summer months, we take a closer look at what it would mean to make cycling safer and whether you'd be willing to do what it takes, especially if it means taking road and parking space away from cars. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Cycling deaths, sadly, have been on the rise for more than a decade. According to California's Office of Traffic Safety, there's been a more than 60% increase in annual cycling deaths since 2010. In our car-centric state, getting around by bicycle can be dangerous. So what would it take to make cycling safer in California? What would it take for you to ride a bike more if you could? We find out as part of Forum's In Transit series, looking at the changing transportation needs of California and the climate. And joining me now is our series partner, Ethan Elkind. Hey, Ethan. Hi, Mina. Good to be back with you. Ethan is director of the climate program at the Center for Law, Energy, and the Environment at UC Berkeley School of Law. And with Ethan is Jared Sanchez, policy director at the California Bicycle Coalition. Hi, Jared. Hi, thanks for having me here. Glad to have you and glad to have you listeners join us and tell us about your daily challenges as a cyclist. Or if you'd like to get on a bike, what you'd need more of to be able to feel like you can do it safely and conveniently. You can always post on our social channels at KQED Forum, email forum at kqed.org, or call us 866-733-6786. So Ethan, on that question of what it would take to get more people riding bikes if they can, it does really seem like it is a question of safety for a lot of us. Is that what it is for you? I think that is the big factor for most people. It's safety. And then as part of that convenience, and I think safety is a, is a function of convenience and to really make biking safe, we need to have more protected, safe bike lanes for people. I think most people really are fearful of the idea of getting on a bike and then having to share space with large vehicles. And the physics of that just don't end up very well when you're on a bike and you're up against a large vehicle. And so the critical thing is to make sure that bicyclists have a protected space 
space, not just their own bike lane, but a, a protected space from those vehicles. And that can be some sort of concrete barrier. It could be bollards. It could be a row of parked cars. But that, I think, is probably the most important thing. And then there's some other related issues as well, like, for example, uh, having a safe place to lock up your bike. Uh, bike thefts are, are another issue. So there's a number of factors here. But you see that in places where, in cities where they make a priority for bike safety, that you see a huge uptick in bicycling as a as a way to get around. And I suppose the other piece of this too is that we should conversely make it a, a little bit more expensive or perhaps inconvenient to get around in other ways. If you make parking a little more scarce, if you dedicate roadway more for pedestrians and bicyclists rather than vehicles, you're going to see people sort of nudged towards exploring bicycles as an option to get around. Yeah. Jared, Ethan mentioned the physics of this. Can you help us truly understand the vulnerability of cyclists among cars? I'm not sure we truly appreciate just how exposed they are. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, it's it's also known as a vulnerable road users, pedestrians and bicyclists, VRU um, for short. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's risky out there, right? When there's infrastructure not set up for vulnerable road users, people on bike or foot, um, or even walking to, to transit. Um, it's just, yeah, a lot of our streets are, are not made for a lot of those users. Um, and that's why we exist, uh, to hope to make that happen and change state policy to, to really um, increase those efforts. This vulnerability, it really impacts who bikes, right? I think you've described the demographics of people doing most of the biking in California as fairly narrow. Who do they tend to be? Yeah, um, I, it it varies. Um, I mean, when you said like who it impacts, I think about the high injury networks. These are uh, major streets in all of our cities that have the fastest traffic, the largest cars and trucks, and they're often located in black and brown minority communities, some of the marginalized communities that have been disinvested for, for decades. And these are some of our most dangerous areas. So if you're biking and walking in those communities, it's even more lethal um, when you when you get um, on 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 two wheels or, or by foot there. Um, so it, it varies. Um, I, I would say it tends to skew young biking on the street um, with the advancement um, and proliferation of e-bikes. Um, a lot of older folks, people who may not be as comfortable riding a conventional bicycle, um, definitely ridership has increased among all age groups. But um, yeah, I think often you'll find young, kind of more, uh, less risk averse folks um, on the bike facing traffic. Um, I know that's where I was when I was a little bit younger. Um, I know a lot of folks too uh, find it more comfortable or at least, you know, not as scary when they're <laughs> Yeah. Ethan, you talked about protected bike lanes as being a way to make people feel safer, make this vulnerability between cyclists or the vulnerability of cyclists against cars or among cars um, less severe. That That is a really good way of separating and trying to make sure that, um, you know, there's some evening out of that vulnerability. But I guess the other thing that I've heard a lot about is Bike networks. Can you explain what people mean when they say we also need bike networks? Well, bike networks is basically thinking more holistically about where people are trying to get to on bikes and not just having isolated 
protected bike lanes or any sort of bike infrastructure in isolation. You want to make sure that the network can really flow together. So you'd have a series of streets or paths that connect bicyclists to activity centers, to destinations. And so bicyclists essentially have their own bike highways that they can access. And that's really key when you think about planning a whole transportation system for a community. You, you've got to take into account that whole network uh, of safe bike lanes. And by the way, it's not just bike lanes, but you see a lot of European cities, for example, that are really at the forefront of encouraging bicycling, dedicating whole roadways essentially to bicycles, uh, bike paths uh, that function almost like roads, but they're just for bicyclists. And actually, the city of Portland here in the United States is a good example of this, where they built a bridge over the Willamette River that is just for buses and pedestrians and bicyclists. So there's there's a safe way to get around, but then you've to your point about the network, you've got to connect either end of those infrastructure to uh, other bike paths and ways for people to access their destinations safely on a bike. Jared, do you want to say more about that and the importance of connected networks or, or whether you feel like California's aware of that, doing a good job with that? Yeah, I mean, that's the key priority for us at CalBike, what we're advocating for. Oftentimes we see with state funding within the active transportation program is a specific program um, that goes to, to many local and regional agencies. And these will often fund um, projects in isolation, a bike lane to nowhere what we like to call it. Um, so this has been, you know, changing slowly a little bit with um, increased investment in biking and walking. Um, I think local and regional agencies are better to understand this idea of networks and that need to increase safety and ex accessibility. We really need to have the infrastructure there. Um, and yeah, I don't know much much more to add to that, but um, yeah, I, that, that's a big priority for us, and we're we're hoping the the state can make. Uh, more changes, more progress at that level. And I think it's it's going pretty slowly, but it, it's happening. Well, let me go to caller Lucas in Redwood City, who's on. Hi, Lucas. Join us. Hello. Hi, thanks for taking my phone call. Uh, I've been a biker for off and on for about a couple of decades now. Uh, and I, I love riding in the city uh, and city environments and on the streets. Uh, I did it for a couple of years strictly uh, when I was going to college in Philadelphia um, and the thing that really prevents me from wanting to, to get out on the road and, and bike more often and, and to commute by bicycle is uh, the, the traffic uh, uh, control systems have really degraded uh, here in California and like the, the managing uh, uh, and policing of, of vehicle, uh, car, vehicles, cars and trucks. Um, late, uh, recently, um, a, a lot of uh, drivers have been installing aftermarket uh, exhaust systems on their on their trucks and their cars, and these uh, vehicles now are, are creating uh, noise pollution that is extremely loud, uh, and it's it's very severe when you're on the road and you and you get uh, passed by a car or a truck that has these exhaust systems, uh, and they also uh, are polluting a lot. So that it, when when I'm riding my bicycle, I I get blasted by like diesel fumes and exhaust fumes. And it's it's really something that makes me not want to get out in the morning on my bicycle and and ride, you know, five ten miles uh, next to, the, to these vehicles. Mm. Ethan, it sounds like Lucas is talking about he'd like to see better enforcement of traffic laws and just also just the pollution that he has to deal with. 
that is a, a big factor and you know maybe not of any immediate comfort but we are transitioning to zero emission vehicles in the state and you're seeing a success of uptake of uh, passenger vehicles and soon more trucks as well but of course that's going to be a multi-decade transition so it's not much comfort when you're dealing with this pollution immediately so some of this i think i think it basically just boils down to enforcement of existing laws i mean this this kind of pollution some of it is is legal but when you have these aftermarket installations that lucas was talking about that really requires a uh, step up in enforcement um, and certainly breathing in fumes right. is another you know negative for a lot of people who are thinking about biking but don't want to share roads with cars not just for the danger of being next to a car but also the fumes but i would say that california does have some of the strictest uh, smog control and pollution control laws when it comes to vehicles so if you're going to bike anywhere in the united states this is about as clean as it's going to get here in the california Jared, I'd love to ask you about this with regard to electric vehicles that Ethan was bringing up. How do cyclists feel about that? I've heard a couple of things. One is, yes, it would definitely cut down on pollution. But the other is that, and I think even the Bicycle Coalition has mentioned this, that there is so much attention and investment in building up more car infrastructure and focusing on electric vehicles that they're not sure that that's really creating the balance that you need to have with cycling and walking. Yeah, that, that's right. I think I think the um, the larger question, I guess, is we're definitely in support of moving to zero emissions. Um, but when we have a disproportionate investments going to motor vehicles in particular, which goes to extending and expanding our roads, our freeways, we just continue to be reliant on on cars. Um, and if we don't make those shifts or those hard choices to other investments, including biking, walking infrastructure, transit infrastructure, we're not going to see those changes. We're, we're obviously facing major crises here with climate, traffic fatalities, a variety of issues. And I think the state has put about $9 billion, they call it the zero emission vehicle package, a $9 million investment, which is really unprecedented at the state level, going to zero emission infrastructure. Um, and this is specifically for cars. So we're looking for something similar for a package for complete streets, roads that are really accommodate all users, uh, not just cars. Um, and we're not really not trying to demonize car drivers here. We just want to see a proportionate and balanced um, investment in, in other modes and not just simply uh, re, you know, doing everything we've already been doing. Ethan, we're about to come out on a break, but can I just get a quick reaction from you on this just because I know you've been, you know, so positive and optimistic on electric cars. Yeah, well, we should keep in mind that almost 50% of California's carbon emissions comes essentially from driving. So we do need to switch over to electric vehicles. But the ultimate best climate-friendly way to get around is not to have to buy a vehicle, to have biking, walking, and transit accessible. And so I, I definitely agree with Jared that we need to be redirecting more of our budget away from automobiles when it comes to transportation spending and towards things like bike infrastructure. We're looking at cycling in California, what it's like, what it'll take to make it safer for, for us, and what it will take to help the planet. We'll have more after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about California's bike infrastructure this hour. What kinds of infrastructure changes might encourage you to bike instead of drive? We're talking about how to make cycling safer in California. And you, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation. Cyclists, what are some of the daily challenges you face? What changes would make things better? If you're hesitant to bike, what would it take for you to feel more comfortable? You can join us by emailing forum at kqed.org, posting on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, threads at KQED Forum, calling us at 866-733-6786. We've got Ethan Elkind with us, host of the podcast Climate Break, also director of the Climate Program at the Center for Law, Energy, and the Environment at UC Berkeley School of Law. And Jared Sanchez is with us, policy director at the California Bicycle Coalition. You, our listeners, are already calling and writing in. Noel tweets, ban distracted driving. Even hands-free phone time in cars is not safe. And new cars with distracting displays slow down traffic in cities. Drivers complain about changing to, quote, road diets, but too many cyclists are killed each year. I want to bring into the conversation now Darwin Musavi, Deputy Secretary for Environmental Policy and Housing Coordination at the California State Transportation Agency. Darwin, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks so much for having me, Mina. So we've been hearing a little bit about the infrastructure needs of California, and I'm just curious, what are some of the big projects the state is working on that you think are making the biggest difference on cycling infrastructure, making cycling safer in California? Sure. We have a lot going on here at the state on cycling the last few years. Uh, Let me start off by giving you a sense of some of the um, ways we influence cycling at a statewide level. So we have infrastructure funding that Jared mentioned earlier through the Active Transportation Program, as well as other programs. We have a various set of design guidance that local jurisdictions um, uh, often use for building their their infrastructure. And then we also do direct implementation uh, of projects on the state highway system and on the system that Caltrans, the Department of Transportation, owns and operates. So, you know, in terms of some of the high impact uh, pieces of that, uh, we recently, in, in 2021, put a new complete streets policy out, which basically flips on its head the way Caltrans goes about and thinks about implementing active transportation and biking infrastructure. We're moving from a uh, system where we've traditionally looked at cars and how we best move cars on the system to you know, a new policy paradigm where you know, the driver of the discussion is, you know, how do we t- think about all modes of transportation? And then, you know, if we can't accommodate all modes, note that exception and think about why versus starting from a place of just thinking about cars. So it's a huge policy shift and paradigm shift for um, the state. And do you feel like you have or that the state is allocating enough resources toward that? Jared was saying he'd like to see more. Well, you know, there's never uh, enough resources when you think talking about infrastructure. I think all of us can agree on that. But we've seen a major shift in where our resources are going and in the amounts that are being invested. So over just this last year, we've invested $1.7 billion 
in the active transportation program. That's an additional billion on top of um, what that program would traditionally get. So, you know, we're talking about um, uh, significantly more than than doubling uh, the amount of investment. And beyond that, even in the traditional dollars that we um, uh, spend on maintaining and operating the state highway system, we've made a major commitment and increase in the amount of those dollars that go to active transportation and biking projects. Mm. We've shifted from, you know, uh, basically not having any dedicated funding um, pre-2020 to about uh, $3 billion over the next 10 years of investments coming in that front. So is it enough? You know, um, probably not, but it's significantly more than we used to have. Where are you prioritizing those efforts? Or, Or maybe I should say in what kind of environments? We feel like we've seen cities making a lot of strides. But in reality, I mean, there's a lot of people who live in suburbs or exurbs and and a lot of folks are feeling like, eh, still really car-centered. <laughs> Is that a big focus? Totally. You know, it's, it's a really interesting question. So, you know, I think in terms of where the money is going, um, where we're directly spending funds, you know, Caltrans own, owns and operates, as I mentioned, the state highway system. And so the most critical places we can spend money on our system is where the state highway system interfaces with the local system, with local roads. You know, those points often end up being, uh, to Ethan's point about a connected network, the gaps in the network, some of the most dangerous places for cyclists to go. We're talking about on-ramps and off-ramps of freeways, interchanges, you know, infrastructure that can be oftentimes in the heart of a city, um, uh, but be a real barrier for people. So that's a huge focus for us. To your point about, you know, exurban or even rural environments, Caltrans also has a lot of rural highways that act as main streets um, in a lot of smaller communities. And so, you know, I think that's a place we play an outsized role in in making sure that we're directly investing on on those components of the system. But, you know, I think in terms of money statewide, um, I think every community, every jurisdiction in the state is now starting to think about, you know, how they can access some of these funds uh, at a statewide level. Um, and no matter how suburban um, of an orientation they have, um, you know, the, the application might look different in a lot of different environments, but I think there's a role to play for infrastructure everywhere. Hmm. Well, I want to actually bring Anthony Molina into the conversation. Now, you mentioned more rural communities. Anthony Molina is with the Fresno County Bike Coalition. Welcome to Forum, Anthony. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm very excited to uh, be able to talk about biking in Fresno. Yeah, talk about biking in Fresno. What are some of the biggest challenges there that Fresno is trying to get addressed Yes. Well, when asked to talk about uh, what it's like in Fresno, it's, we are the fifth largest city in, in, in the state. And uh, we have what I like to describe as the good, the bad and the ugly. And I'll talk about the ugly first. The ugly is that we are a poster child for autocentric development, uh, ag land being you know, gobbled up by developers uh, to, and freeways to, uh, that have to support this uh, uh, vast uh, expansion, and uh, we are also uh, uh, faced with uh, the disparities uh, that uh, are the, you know, uh, legacy of uh, redlining. Uh, so we have disadvantaged uh, districts that lack uh, basic uh, infrastructure for bicyclists and pedestrians, and uh, so that's that's the ugly part. Uh, the the bad part is that we also have uh, uh, another legacy of transportation. Uh, uh, 
barriers that uh, uh, separate uh, our communities, particularly the disadvantaged communities. We've got freeways, we got trains, and now we have high-speed rail, of all things, uh, that uh, are going to create barriers for cyclists and, and pedestrians. Uh, so those are some of the some of the challenges. And the bad thing is uh, that we have uh, the, the, an arterial system that's high-speed, uh, that uh, has... Uh, uh, created uh, uh, hazards for pedestrians and bicyclists. So we have mm -hmm. unsafe drivers, unsafe vehicles. We have all these uh, lifted pickup trucks. And we've had uh, uh, a number of very high profile uh, deaths. We had a Fresno State uh, professor, uh, a very skilled cyclist who was killed by a race car driver in a, a rural uh, road uh, locally in the county. And then we had uh, one of our uh, most experienced cyclists. He had uh, ridden by bike across the United States multiple times. He bike commuted to uh, Kerman High School 20 miles a day for 20 years. And he was killed at our uh, local um, mm -hmm. regional park um, in a crosswalk uh, by a lifted pickup truck. So uh, so we, we have some of those. Uh, those are those are the bad things. Uh, uh, so uh, we also had to deal with uh, our valley uh, heat, uh, air pollution. We're, we're a basin, so we get all, uh, in addition to automobile pollution, we get uh, wildfire pollution at certain times of the year. So uh, anyways, um, th those are the, the, the bad and the ugly. The good part, though, is yeah. we, are, uh, we are making changes. Uh, we, I think, have uh, captured the attention of, of our elected officials uh, in Fresno and Clovis to uh, start implementing some of the newer infrastructure. So we are having cycle tracks coming to Fresno uh, in a number of areas. Uh, we have struggled over the years, uh, you know, to claim... Uh, reclaim street space for cyclists, particularly on former uh, uh, state highways like Blackstone and uh, Kings Canyon Avenue that are, you know, um, uh, six lanes uh, uh, and very challenging for pedestrians and bicyclists in the mm -hmm. high high injury uh, uh, corridors. So anyway, uh, the other good thing that I want to uh, just share uh, that we are actually uh, partnering with the city of Munster, which is the bicycle capital of Germany, 43% of trips are by bike. Uh, to have a bike summit in Fresno uh, uh, that will be targeting uh, transportation uh, professionals on October 27th uh, to help um, rewrite the narrative of uh, bicycle and pedestrian transportation in the city of Fresno. So, oh, wow. When you do try to implement some of these more bike-friendly um, changes, new infrastructure, reclaim some roads... Do you get opposition? And if you do, where do you find it comes from the most? Yes. Um, well, uh, certainly uh, there is, um, you know, a uh, divided loyalty uh, among our elected officials. I know they want to do the right thing and make it safer for bikes. But oftentimes, uh, you know, there's there are a lot of they're under a lot of pressure uh, for, uh, you know, economic reasons uh, to uh, put in, you know, new Costco's <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, new, new freeways and, uh, auxiliary lanes and, mm -hmm. and things like that. So, so it's, they, you know, are, uh, are struggling with, with finding the right balance for that. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. Anthony. Well, thanks so much for giving us a peek of what it's like in, in Fresno and your efforts to try to make it more bike friendly. Again, Anthony Molina's with the Fresno County, Bike Coalition. Um, and I believe we have another rep from Sunnyvale Bike Coalition on. Leah, you're on. Join us. Yes. Hi. Um, my name is Leah Melman. I'm the chairperson of the city of Sunnyvale's Bicycle and Pedestrian Advisory Commission. 
Um, we're a group of people, um, just regular, ordinary folks who uh, volunteer our time to um, assist the city council in um, determining bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure and uh, uses and um, and trying to improve our city. We are the second largest city in Santa Clara County, and um, I can speak to some of the issues that we um, run into. For instance, a lot of the roads in the city are not actually owned by the city. For instance, uh, El Camino Real, as an example, is not owned by any part of the city. It's owned by Caltrans. Mm-hmm. And that's one of our major obstacles because crossing El Camino Real, which is eight lanes in some sections, six lanes in most, um, is uh, difficult for pedestrians and cyclists. And um, most cyclists will not actually bicycle down El Camino Real. And uh, even though there is a plan in place to um, upgrade El Camino Real and try and provide some bicycle infrastructure, some of the issues are the fact that there are so many, you know, driveways from various shopping centers and so forth, um, you know, entrances and egress. Uh, you know, exits and so forth. And then, um, you know, uh, the other issue is the fact that we can't necessarily have a protected bike lane, which is what most cyclists would like to make themselves feel the most secure because no parent is going to send their child onto green paint and expect it to keep them safe. Mm. So even though there are things like buffered bicycle lanes and um, so, you know, things like that, that doesn't necessarily provide the uh, sense of safety that people want. Um, Some of the other issues are the fact that um, when we want to build bicycle infrastructure, um, you know, removing parking is a very big problem because people, even in residential areas, feel very entitled to the parking that's in front of their house. Um, And even though that's not what they own, Hmm. the expectation is it's there and they don't want to lose it. And so um, usually we have to do an awful lot of work to persuade people that, you know, this is necessary. And so we've been trying very hard with our active transportation plan to institute things, but it's it's a difficult and slow process. And the other issue... Yeah, well, let me just say... Very quickly, please, yeah. Oh, you know, I as think... a collector, you can't slow down the vehicle traffic. Well, Leah, thank you for giving us a sense of exactly what we're talking about, which is the challenges of creating more bike infrastructure and making cycling safer. Leah's given us a good sense of what it's like in Sunnyvale. And we're also talking with Jared Sanchez, the policy director at the California Bicycle Coalition, Ethan Alkine, director of the Climate Program at the Center for Law, Energy, and the Environment at UC Berkeley School of Law. And Darwin Musavi is with us from the State Transportation Agency, Deputy Secretary for Environmental Policy and Housing Coordination. Um, There are a couple of other comments that people have made about the difficulty in terms of making it safe for cyclists. Tyler writes, one of the things that makes me most adverse to biking is being intentionally bullied by drivers. This is especially true when there are no dedicated bike lanes and people on bikes are forced to share the entire lane with vehicles. As someone who also drives a car, I understand these feelings. Cars are designed to go really fast and to feel that you can barely push down on the accelerator can be frustrating. I think this is just more evidence of the need to separate people on bikes from people in cars due to basic human psychology. I think Leah was getting at that too with protected lanes. Daniel writes, as a bicyclist, I cannot be safe as long as people on electric bikes, scoots, and other motorized vehicles are allowed to use bike lanes. Bicycles and scoots are not allowed on pedestrian sidewalks, but people abuse this all the time. Jared, would love to get your reaction because I've heard of e-bikes as kind of 
a great answer in getting more people to bike, especially people who need the extra nudge and oomph that an e-bike gives. But then I've also read that they can go up to speeds of like 28 miles an hour. Can you address where e-bikes fit into all this as a solution or as another problem? We see e-bikes as a, as a major solution uh, to all the problems addressed here. I think it, it broadens the ridership, certainly. Um, and yeah, it gets more people on bikes. And then the more folks we have in the street, the, the infrastructure will, will follow, hopefully, if the funds are there. Um, not to say there isn't a backlash happening right now, right now around e-bikes. I think with the increase of, of e-bike ridership across the state and country, we're having more uh, more people on the road, more more collisions with cars. Um, and I think with that, person was commenting this backlash in many local cities, in many of our Beach cities, more of our conservative areas, I think there's some concern, especially with children riding e-bikes. There's been some, a couple highlighted uh, examples of some unfortunate deaths with children riding e-bikes. So but although there, there, there's a balance here at play, um, but we're definitely, I think we need more education uh, for bike safety, for drivers as well. Um, to make sure everybody's safe and not any restrictions or ways to, to limit ridership. And of course, the answer for infrastructure, which has been the, the highlight of what we've been talking about here, will make it safer for folks to be on e-bikes. So it's a definitely key part of the solution here. Ethan, talk also about how e-bikes fit into this as you see it. And is it localities that re- are really responsible for managing e-bikes? Well, I agree that e-bikes are a major part of the climate solution, and they're really a pretty nice uh, indication of the battery revolution that's going on. We've talked about electric vehicles and electric trucks, and that same battery revolution that has really been launched because of electric vehicles is now allowing for pretty affordable electric bikes, electric scooters. Uh, and so, as Jared mentioned, you are seeing more sort of vying for the, the space on the roads. And the larger context here is that we do have you know, limited space on these public right-of-ways, on our streets and sidewalks, and we are making policy choices that are favoring automobiles over people who are walking and biking. And so when you put everyone who's walking and biking into you know one small sidewalk or one small lane, that's when you get conflicts with more e-bicyclists. Uh, and so I think what really has to happen is that politically, we have to make the choice to expand the amount of public infrastructure available to bicyclists and pedestrians and e-scooterists, et cetera. And really that comes at the cost of convenience for automobile drivers. But if we're really serious about creating more livable communities, more uh, convenience in terms of getting around and dealing with the climate crisis, that's that's a choice we have to make. But in terms of the question around where e-bikes can go, I mean, they are classified in California uh, where they are limited in terms of uh, where they can go in, in, in the right of way. Uh, There are some exceptions to that, but that's sort of the way the state has tried to deal with it. So locals do have a little bit less control. But I I do second the idea that e-bikes have really brought a lot of people into biking. I have an 86-year-old father who bikes up Mount Diablo, and an e-bike has really made that possible for him. So I think in in the long run, this is a really positive development for, for sustainability and mobility. We're talking about cycling solutions, and we'll have more after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about how to make cycling safer in California. What kinds of infrastructure changes might do that and might encourage you to bike? Cyclists are joining us. Those who are hesitant to bike are joining us to talk about what their needs are. And so is Ethan Elkine, director of the climate program at the Center for Law, Energy, and the Environment at UC Berkeley School of Law, also host of the podcast Climate Break and a partner in forums in transit series. Jared Sanchez is with us, policy director at the California Bicycle Coalition, and Darwin Musavi, deputy secretary for environmental policy and housing coordination at the California State Transportation Agency. You, our listeners, are with us. 866-733-6786 is the number. We're at KQED Forum on social media. You can email forum at kqed.org. And uh, we've got Daniel from Fremont on the line. Daniel, thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Thanks. Hi. Um, so I've been a cyclist for about over a decade now. Um, I started as a road cyclist, but in the last couple of years, I've started cycling for, for work, for errands, just to visit friends and family. And I just wanted to bring to this group's attention um, what something that Fremont has been doing in the last couple of years. Um, I live in Fremont, and they started building protected intersections, Dutch-style p- protected intersections. And they're basically intersections that protect bikes all the way through the intersection and reduces those conflict points, for example, from a car turning right across the bike lane or a cyclist having to merge across several lanes of traffic to turn left. Um, They slow down cars because cars have to make a tight right turn instead of being able to go into a, a slip lane. Um, those intersections include sensors, so bikes are actually seen by the traffic control system. Um, it puts cyclists ahead of cars. So at the stop line, when the, when the cars are stopped, the bikes are actually standing in front into the side of the, of, of the cars. And so cars are able to see them. And that reduces the crossing distance, both for pedestrians and cyclists, mm. um, making th- so that they cross the intersection faster uh, and clear through there faster. And it makes turns easier because you're actually able to make a left turn in two phases. You cross, you go across the intersection and you turn within the protected area, and then make that left turn without having to cross lanes of traffic. Yeah. Uh, Daniel, thanks. Darwin Musabi, what do you think of that? Is the state excited about that? Certainly. <laughs> localities, it, encouraging localities to do that all the way through the intersection protection? Yeah, Dutch intersections coming to California, we've seen several of them now um, across the state, is a really exciting development. I think, you know, as mentioned, um, conflict points are the place we see the largest um, uh, crashes and collisions, obviously, and, you know, intersections are where a lot of those happen. So I think Dutch intersections can play a key role, you know, mainly on the local network, um, uh, given uh, just their application and where it makes sense versus the a lot of the state highway system. I will say, you know, I think in terms of design, 
of our uh, system in general, we've made huge strides and uh, Caltrans right now is actually in the middle of doing a major update to what we call the highway design manual, which sets the stage for a lot of design guidance um, uh, for the state and locals tend to use this design guidance as well. And um, there's a, um, a huge uh, a change happening in terms of um, complete streets design guidance as part of the HDM uh, that will be finalized later this summer. So um, uh, hopefully a lot more applications on on the state highway system and local roadways for innovative bicycle design um, to come. Well, Rico on Discord writes, I appreciate that lately Caltrans seems to be adopting more of a bike-friendly policy position. However, one hand often doesn't know what the other is doing. And in my experience, highway operations are reluctant to make any change that would result in an increase in congestion on vehicle delay. At the end of the day, transportation planning is all about trade-offs. The name of the game in planning is managing trade-offs to ensure a balanced outcome for all road users. Another listener writes, in my two decades of road cycling, I have been struck twice by cars. The first time I was struck by a mother who was yelling at her child in the back seat after I had made eye contact with her. The second time I was struck at low speed by a car exiting a construction site. The driver did not stop. Both were at points of different directional movement, intersecting, so bike lanes would not have solved these events. Freeway on-ramps are another particularly dangerous spot. And Tristan writes... Too often the conversation is cars versus bikes, when in fact both of those should be less important than public transportation when we design. If we want to aim for more people living a car-free life, quality public transit is the most effective and accessible way to get more vehicles off the road. Public transit in California is not just for commuting, but for recreation, errands, and basic daily life. And it has suffered cutbacks over the years and is in a downward spiral since its most frequent users are those with the least influence. I feel like I'm hearing in some of these comments what is at what is a big part of some of the challenges with regard to cycling, increasing cycling infrastructure, cycling safety, making it easier and better for pedestrians and focusing so much on cars is that there needs to be kind of a, a culture shift um, in our state. We, we've mentioned that the nation and our state is very car-centric. And, and I'd just love to get your thoughts on that. I, I want to start with you, Jared, just in terms of, is this something that requires a cultural shift for us, you think? It, it really does. And I'm glad you, you said that because, yeah, we're, we're talking yeah, about major changes here in transportation design, policy, implementation, just like everybody's been been talking about. For decades now, we've, we've built these roads specifically for cars. So it's there's much more to this. And as we all know, cult- changing culture is runs into a, a lot of conflict and issues and there's some tensions there. Um, and I think just from my role at the state policy level, there's a lot that legislators are doing. There's a lot that they could more, they could do more, including our state agencies. As Darwin mentioned, I think there's been stepping up quite a bit in the last couple of years. But I think for for our ways to, to change culture, I think, yeah, our elected officials, our, our state leaders um, really need to lead that charge even more um, as they're doing now. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that they're doing that as, as time goes on. Darwin, you are the Deputy Secretary for Environmental Policy and Housing Coordination, and I do wonder about how California's housing availability and affordability really affects the likelihood of people using a bike on a regular basis. Yeah, there's a major correlation, right? You know, I think 
having affordable um, housing near destinations where people can access jobs, um, their their daily destinations like schools, et cetera, is key to encouraging um, you know short trips and short trips are really key to biking. And so if you live really far away from where you need to go on a day-to-day basis, it really makes it really difficult to give up your car, particularly in an environment where you may not have great access to public transit and and to to bike. So, you know, there's a there's a major link there and major correlation. And, you know, given, you know, my role, I have I have a bias that I think a lot of things come back to housing affordability. And this is one of those issues. Yeah. And Ethan, given, you know, just how endemic and massive that is as an issue, excuse me. And we're talking about making a culture shift. Like, what ideas do you have for the kind of culture shifts that we need to make to move towards modes of transportation that are more climate friendly and, and safer? Well, you know, we have examples from around the world of this exact type type of culture shift happening. So, for example, in the Netherlands and Denmark, uh, before the 1970s, these were very auto-oriented cities and regions. And they made a choice after the oil shocks of the early 70s with the OPEC embargo to switch to biking infrastructure. And as a result today, if you look at photos from before the 70s compared to today, these are essentially bike paradises. Uh, people are routinely driving, biking around little kids and their bikes. And about 40 to sometimes as high as 60% of commuters are traveling by bicycle. So this is completely possible. It just takes a cultural shift that you talked about, but it really is preceded by policy, policy that makes it safe to bike, that, that converts more of our public uh, streets and and rights of way to places that are safe, and that that requires funding because we don't dedicate enough funding. Only about five percent of California's transportation budget is going to pedestrian and, and bicycle infrastructure. We need to up that, and then the politics of it too. And we've heard a little bit about this on the show already: the opposition to removing parking spaces, removing lanes for cars, and, and giving those over to pedestrians and bicyclists. We have to get past that implementation hurdle and we need to dedicate more money. And then I think that cultural shift will flow. Well, we're getting some comments like this. Carl writes, I'm glad to see that you are addressing safety for California cyclists. I'm a former gung-ho cyclist myself. At this point in my life, I am mostly a hiker. Unfortunately, there are a few cyclists who are heedless of being safe when sharing the road with pedestrians. They often come from behind, pass at a high rate of speed, and do not give any warning, such as a simple coming around on your left. Nancy writes, I've been injured trying to avoid adults riding on sidewalks in Berkeley. Two weeks ago, an adult with a child following behind approached me on a sidewalk with little room for me to step aside. She called out as she rode past, thanks, the street has potholes. Bicyclists might consider that walking also has a place. So, Jared, I'm sure you hear that, too, just concerns about cyclists being safe or maybe people who are cycling more aggressively than people would like to see. Because I know that part of making the cultural shift, especially with pedestrians, is showing sort of the shared goals of both yeah, I, I think that needs to be made clear. And as I mentioned earlier, there just isn't enough education out there for, you know, walking and biking safely in, you know, a, a car dominated space, um, and especially for drivers, right? So we don't like to, to pit all these different modes uh, against each other here. And yeah. I do hear a bit that, you know, bikes don't belong on sidewalks. And you know, there's concerns when there's not safe uh, infrastructure in the street, where do bikes go, then either risk your life or, you know, 
ping uh, goes slowly alongside a pedestrian. I think there's, you know, some possibility for a conflict there. But, you know, th these are kind of minor issues when we talk about those policy issues that Ethan was mentioning. Um, and yeah. Mm. So minor enough that you don't feel like they are undermining your efforts to try to get more bike infrastructure. Like Possibly. to say, yeah, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Possibly politically, but in the long run, I don't think so. I think the larger issues around the climate, around most of our money going to car dominated uses, I, I don't think that undermines it. But I think, yeah, I, I do think there's concerns um, from a lot of folks. But um, yeah, I think the, the larger issues uh, here are around funding policy and safety and accessibility and not so much about, yeah, the tit for tat for, for bikes and, and um, pedestrians on sidewalks. I think the conversation is off there quite a bit. Well, let me uh, remind listeners that you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to caller Chris in San Francisco. Hi, Chris. You're on. Hi. How are you? Well. So I, I, I both ride and drive. Um, I'm in construction. I drive a truck. And I, I hear a lot about, you know, less driving, encourage less driving. However, you know, I'm the guy that builds and repairs homes, uh, increasing you know, homes for everyone to live in trying to do it in an affordable, uh, affordable way. So how do we, you know, how do you carry a two by four or plywood on a bike? Um, I would happily do it, but you know, I, I don't, I've not seen a bike that would accommodate those or a cabinet or a dishwasher or something like that. And then the other thing that I think is, you know, as I said, we both, we, I both ride and drive. Um, I try to make it easy and safe for cyclists, but I often think that cyclists, you know, sometimes don't do the same for cars. Now, that being said, people that ride have to be comfortable doing that. Um, I will ride as close to parked cars as I can while scanning for heads in cars so I don't get car doored. But, you know, I, I'm just curious as to the thoughts on how we can kind of work together. <laughs> you know, bicyclists help make it safe, you know, more, more convenient for cars, and cars make it safe for bicycles. If you flip a bicycle with a mirror, it could be life-altering, if not deadly. Mm. <laughs> so th there's all these things that, that I think we can do together that kind of would help us mm. coexist and you know build up on each other. Yeah. Well, thanks, Chris. Um, well, Kara writes, Napa County has no protected bike lanes, despite broad support from elected officials and an extremely low traffic safety rating, according to the Office of Traffic Safety. What have the panelists found that increases the speed of implementation of protected bike lanes. Let me go to you, Darwin, on that, just in terms of ways to increase the speed of implementation at a local level. I know you're at the state level, but since, you know, you work in government, I assume you have some ideas. Sure. You know, I think a, a lot of what increases the speed at the state level also can apply locally. But, you know, the answer, I think, is, is pretty uh, simple. It's having design guidance available that the um, makes the implementation process pretty straightforward. So you don't have to go through cumbersome design exception processes or all kinds of um, processes to justify your design. Having guidance that you can rely on, I think, helps a lot. Having funding um, available sounds like a no-brainer, but a lot of times the long lead time for transportation projects is because uh, people are looking to piece together various pieces of funding over a long period of time. So uh, the more money we have for these infrastructure projects, um, I think uh, the more that helps. And, you know, I, I do think 
um, the broader policy sh shifts happening at a statewide level to really center uh, moving people um, instead of cars uh, is helping provide an opening for both of those things. Well, Sergio tweets, what percentage of the accidents are caused by biker errors? Why would we want to force people to bike? It should be a choice. Another listener writes, I live in Riverside where cyclists always ignore stoplights. The worst was when my left turn light turned green and a cyclist slowly chugged in across my car at the same instant. Given their complete ignoring of traffic laws, why should I be in favor of the issues? We've talked a little bit about the importance of enforcing traffic laws for cars. We're hearing about people wanting more enforcement of laws for bicyclists. But you had mentioned, Jared, that you feel like it is also just a matter of education, of people knowing what the laws are, especially the interaction between bikes and cars. And I know that uh, the California Bicycle Coalition was active in trying to get some laws passed that maybe a lot of people don't know about. So tell us a few of them uh, as we close out this hour that you would like people to be aware of. Um, well, there's a couple um, that we were working on in recent years to try to legalize safe uh, biking and walking, including crossing the street mid-block where a lot of folks are stopped and harassed by the police. So we're able to legalize uh, walking when it's safe. Um, and then right now we've been trying for many years trying to legalize a, a bike rider to treat a stop sign as yield, also known as the, the Idaho stop or the, the safety stop here in California. So there's, there's several laws, just two right there included that we're yeah, trying to to make sure um, that it, it's balanced and safe out there for riders and drivers. And just like the commenter a little while ago was mentioning, I think we, we all do need to work together. And I think the idea really is behind Complete Trees. Having those dedicated funds to go to separate infrastructures to make everybody safe would, you know, lead or at least stop to some of this demonization we see with bike riders as often many car drivers often see bike riders in the way or, you know, something uh, to, to avoid. Um, and if we have, yeah, pieces in place for that, I think um, it'd be, yeah, much smoother for folks, less traffic deaths on the road um, and yeah, a lot of less tension and conflict that we're seeing now on these very dangerous roads as we see them. Ethan, do you want to add anything to what's at stake uh, if we don't work together <laughs> to try to well, figure out a solution to all this? Well, certainly our climate goals are at stake. Like I was saying earlier, the electric vehicle transition is not going to happen as quickly as we need it. And biking is really the cheapest and fastest way to move people around in a more sustainable manner. I mean, a bike lane might cost a million or two million per mile compared to you know hundreds of millions or even billions per mile if you're looking at heavy, heavy rail transit. So we need to figure out a way to make it safe and convenient. And I do think it goes back, Mina, to your point about a cultural shift. And that stems from policy, the funding and the implementation to get this infrastructure built safely and sustainably for people. Ethan Elkind, here I'm on Climate Break. Thanks for being our partner, Ethan. We always get so much uh, engagement from our listeners uh, when we do our in-transit shows. Thank you, Mina. It's great to be with you. Jared Sanchez, so glad to have you on. Thank you. Yeah. Policy Director of the California Bicycle Coalition, Darwin Musavi of the California State Transportation Agency, Deputy Secretary for Environmental Policy and Housing. Thank you, too. And thank you, listeners. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.